You're now listening to Voices Rising Press Podcast. I'm Shelly. And I'm Sarah. We are two writers, mamas, and soul sisters who created this space for personal growth, fellow writers, and people who aspire to live an open-hearted, authentic life. Every Wednesday morning, we put out a new podcast episode and talk about life, parenting, writing, books, current events, upcoming publications. We interview fellow authors and so much more. We are more than just a publishing company. We strive to be a community of connected, creative, real people who speak our truth. We appreciate all of you listeners and are always looking for new suggestions and ideas. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review. Let us know more about what you are interested in hearing. Welcome back, our friends, to our book club. Today we're talking about Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. Let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. Mm, such a good book. So many good good tips on this book. And I really appreciate how this book... I listened to this on Audible. I'm trying to think of... It was like under... It was five hours about. That's a pretty fast... It was a pretty fast listen, Especially if you put it on like... One and a half or two times speed. <laughs> yeah, I did about 1.5 speed, and I really appreciated that. And I really liked how, how'd she start it with the three C's, right? Yeah, well, I mean, she talks about what are the gifts of imperfection, like what does it bring into our lives? Mm-hmm. And that, she says, is courage, compassion, and connection. Mm. And then she kind of goes into, like, different, and I really love those, by the way, like, just like really sitting with those words and the idea that vulnerability is brave and courageous and it is strong, even though we often associate vulnerability with weakness, it's actually an opposite. Bravery. Yes. Yes. And then, and she talks about some of the things that are like opposites of what we think. I'm trying to see what, that love is the opposite of shame and fear Mm, and like, that's good. You know, moving into it with love is the opposite of moving into it with shame. Yes. Which I really liked because I've just been kind of going into love a lot in my own life and just that, you know, living from that source. Well, and allowing love and allowing yourself to be loved and allowing yourself to love others fully and hurt. So Brene Brown does a lot of work with shame and guilt, yes. which we were talking about. And I I used to kind of have like a block when I actually even heard, which book of hers was it? I don't know if it was it Rising Strong or Braving the Wilderness. Yeah. One of, oh, well, she talks a lot on that. And I used to think it was the opposite. I thought that guilt was more of that, like, deep-seated emotion. And do you have that definition yeah. that she says? Okay, so this is a quote from her book. But she talks about, like, the definition of shame. And she says, first, you can think of shame as that small feeling that washes over us and makes us feel small and unworthy. So like that feeling of like, oh, I just want to shrink into nothingness because I am nothing. And then her official definition is that it's the universal deep fear that we all have of being flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Mm -hmm. And so somewhere deep inside of us, we are afraid, all of us, that we aren't worthy of love. Yes. And that we aren't good enough to belong to something or to someone. And we all experience that. She basically says to be, to feel shame is to be human. That's true. But then it's like, what do you do with that shame? And that is ultimately what she gets, like, what I got out of this book is like how to go and use that shame 
and, or, or face that shame. And like she said, the more you put it deep down inside of you, the more control it will have over your life. And to really address shame properly, it's to bring it up and talk about it, believe it or not. The vulnerability piece comes in. And so I love how she, she coins this term called shame resilience. Oh yes. Right. And she says, if you're, if you have shame, you're capable of shame resilience, which is recognizing it as shame and moving through it constructively, maintaining your worthiness and your authenticity. Mm, which can be the hardest piece is to be authentically like honest and true about things that bring shame. Right. Like sex is a huge shame giver. Yeah. Or just, I think a lot of people have shame around making wrong choices or, you know, taking the wrong action and then not being able to face what they did. Yes. And burying that deep, deep inside. And then that grows into this sense of like, I'm not worthy. If people knew the truth, they wouldn't love me. Oh, it's such a misperception. And that eats away at your gut, you know, like, uh, but then you feel like an imposter because like if people like you, you're like, ah, but you don't know the truth. Yeah, but you don't really know me. But the thing is, is that person has some deep seated shame too. And I love too how, so then she does go into guilt and so guilt is more of like that action so mm-hmm. I, I think I'm thinking a lot of like children and growing up and raising kids and it's like the way that you know my son has a freak out and is like screaming at me and I can guilt him right say Milo or you should be ashamed of yourself like plugging that like he and I don't like it's that's shaming that's versus shaming guilting. versus and then guilting I think for me it's like that's where I kind of like got a little bit uneven I'm, I'm like the shame and the guilt thing because it's like guilt I feel like sometimes too can be like that low vibrational feeling of like oh god I feel so guilty about what I did right we're seeing your kids melt into that guilt of like oh they know that they fucked up like they know that they're gonna get in big trouble because whatever they jack jumped off the counter the other day and he broke the cabinet and he was like <gasps> immediately like oh gosh but right. so like I think is Brene saying like that's like more of guilt versus shame is more of that deep-seatedness Right. So like guilt would be like when you know, and sometimes guilt can be healthy. Like when you know you've done something wrong, you should feel guilt about that. That doesn't mean you should feel shame because Mm. shame means, oh, that means I'm a terrible person. Mm -hmm. Whereas guilt means that means I did, I made a bad choice and Mm -hmm. I do feel guilty about that. And I want to make that right. But shame is like, I am a terrible person. No one will love me now because I did that at the core of your being. Whereas Mm -hmm. guilt is like an action and you can have healthy guilt and unhealthy guilt for sure. Right. But with shame, there is no healthy shame. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Toxic. Yeah. It is such a, it's such the subject too, that just like, it's hard to talk about the shame and the guilt. It is. And I love how she's vulnerable in her book about how difficult it is to be a shame researcher. I know, a researcher. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about shame and she's got to be the one that goes and dives into it it and gives talks on it. And well, and she talks about how even she was giving a talk at, I think it was a country club and she arrives at the country club and the woman is like reading this paper and she's like, wait, you are a shame researcher and a guilt researcher. You're supposed to be here talking about joy and people. Things. And yeah. she was literally like trying to shame her, yes. shame Brene about like, these people didn't come here to hear about shame and guilt. They want to hear light things that make them feel good and joyful. And then yeah. Brene talks about and how the irony of it all. Well, and she's like, didn't know what to talk about. So she had to restructure what she was talking about. And, and then she's again, yeah, then she was like talking about, 
and this should be joyful. Life is joyful. And she's like, this was bullshit. And after she got done, she felt so inauthentic. And like, that was fucking bullshit. And I didn't sign up for that. Yeah. And yeah. it was like ironic because she went there to talk about shame. And then she felt too much shame to talk about the shame. Because <laughs> she was shamed. She was shamed. Yeah. So it's this interesting thing. And then I love, I love, I love when she talks about like, what's the best thing to do with shame is to talk about it. But then you have to be careful about who you talk about it with. It's so true. And I, and so I wrote this down. because I was so like, Oh my God, this is important. This like there's six bad friends to share your shame story with. Oh, okay. So the first one is the friend who is ashamed that you did that. And you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. And they're like, Oh, that is awful. Oh, like, oh, I'm God. so and you're like, realize that now you've got to go and rescue them out of the shame spiral oh, and you're the in it yourself, right? Yes. Okay. The second one is someone who responds with sympathy rather than empathy. Like, oh, you poor thing. Bless your heart. The pity friend. The pity friend. Oh, pity Who comes friend. at it from that higher, like, oh, sympathy, sympathy. Well, empathy is like, I've been there. I totally feel you on that. Like connecting, right? yeah. And then, yeah, there's that connection piece. Yeah. The third type of bad friend to share it with is someone who holds you to such a high pedestal that you are actually letting them down by admitting oh your perfection. Yeah. Like, wait, you did that? I'm not sure I can still be your friend. Like, yeah. Well, like, I don't want to be your friend either. Now I feel shame, like more shame. Yeah. Like, thank you. And then the fourth one is someone who would, A, like kind of scold you or be like, why did you do that? And, or blame someone else and say, hey, let's go. Like, let's go get that guy. Yes. It's, it's all his fault. Oh, yeah. yeah. Instead of helping you be there. Or it's all her fault. With your authenticity, yes. imperfection moment, they're like bringing you, oh, no, no, let's go get that other guy. Or, yeah. or you shouldn't have done that. And here's how I'm going to change. And then the fifth one is someone who refuses to even acknowledge or says you didn't do that. That didn't happen. You didn't fuck the up. The gaslighter. Yeah. Yeah. Almost, <laughs> yeah. You, that, that was someone else's fault. It's not yours. And oh. try to talk you out of feeling even that truth, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Which is so true. I've, I've actually had that experience where it's like you try to share an authentic experience with someone and they're like denying that it happened Ew. to make you feel better theoretically. But it's like, no, just let me. I just want you to hear me. Tell my truth. Exactly. Yes. And it's about listening, not fixing, right? Which can be a challenge. And then the last is the one upper friend. Oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you about something that happened to me in college. Yeah, which that can definitely have like that dichotomy to it where it's like you don't want to one up somebody, but then you do want to share that compassionate connecting piece. Like, oh my gosh, Sarah, that so sucks. And sometimes I will share my experience. I'm like, I don't want I don't mean to do that if that's ever happening. There's a difference between one upping and connecting because she does talk about that like she does sharing your experience and of vulnerability with someone else is a shared experience. But if you're just doing it to one up their experience and negate it. That's yes. the difference. Okay. Right? Totally. So yes, it's okay to sh- like jump in with your own stories, but you have to think about what the purpose is. Yeah, it's not like, is. oh no, you just, that is nothing like oh, this. I did way worse, right? <laughs> it's different than, oh, I have so it's done so that true. before. Unless, like yes. this happened to me and I did this and it was yes. so crappy and I feel ya. Well, it's like we, I think as women and people that we just can kind of, you can read people and you can know the people that you can feel safe to just pour your shit out to and there's other people where I know that I'm like I would never share I would never share with that person I've had that experience where 
my birth mother is the one upper. It's like everything is like, oh, this is oh, this yeah. this. So I got into that for there for like 15 years of like, oh, the one uppering thing. Mm-hmm. And I and it's funny it's on this list because I used to do that one uppering like because that's well, how I was learned, raised. Right. It was like that unconscious programming. But I mean, have you ever gotten off the phone with someone or come out of a conversation with someone and just felt so gross heard yes. and so much worse than when you started? And it wasn't like it was that bad of a conversation. It wasn't like they were blatantly putting you down but then but I think the difference is feeling heard versus feeling unheard yes and there to be a good friend she also lists these like what are what we need in a good listener is someone who's rooted like one not going to get all caught up in your drama too you're like oh well let's like take a rooted grounded approach to this too flexible not rigid you know willing to just listen and go with where you need to go in the conversation Listen and not fix. Mm. Um, and then there's connection, empathy, and shared vulnerability. And that's where you can share those vulnerable stories because it's a shared experience of vulnerability. Yes. And I can, yeah, I can definitely relate to all of those. And I think sometimes I know I struggle with the allowing, sharing, and not being fixed. I have a pretty close friend and her daughter, it was like her senior year of high school, and she had this huge like heart-to-heart talk with her about just listening and not always trying to fix her. And it was like my really close girlfriend, and you know she was tearing up when she said it, and she said, her whole life I just always thought that that was the right thing to just try to offer advice and fix her and fix her, and she just wants me to listen. And now she's like a junior in college, and my girlfriend now says that when her daughter talks to her, she listens and she just validates what she says and her feelings so it's listening and revalidating which I think can be good for those people who want to always fix people like me I have that like oh I can try to help you if I can because I'm like oh I want to help you I want to make things better but instead of making better that maybe we could like reach for that you know that's a compassion piece too of just you know, connecting that way of just, you know, like reiterating like, oh my gosh, it must be so hard what you're going through right now. Instead of, oh my gosh, I have exactly what you need. I can fix you. What you should do. What you should do. But I could just be like, yeah, that is hard. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine that that feels like shit. Well, have you ever been to a really good therapist who just listens and in the process of talking, you solve your own shit? That's their job. That's their That's job. That's their real and job. And that means you found a really good therapist. It's yeah. like, you don't realize it, but they're like guiding you slowly towards your own conclusions, your own answers. And they're not solving for you. Right. Because you do have your own answers. You just don't know. And you need someone yes. to like bounce them off of and see it clearly and then be like, oh, wait, that makes so much they're sense. They're just space holders, right? right. Aren't they? Like a good they're therapist. Like, Yes. Holding that space for you to figure it out and unravel your yarns or whatever. Right. And where you feel like you can be vulnerable. Yes. And share the shame and the guilt. Yeah. And And a friend can be like a good therapist in a way. I agree 100%. I mean, I think I feel like that way with you. I could tell you anything. Yeah. I don't ever feel like you would judge me. Definitely wouldn't judge you. And I hope (laughs) you wouldn't try to like fix without listening. But I am definitely open to like, oh my gosh, like if you have a tip, I am a tip person. I like tips, but sometimes you don't want tips. Sometimes you don't want those tips. I just want you to fucking hear what I have to say. Or like if you've been in a relationship, like I know that's is a common like man woman kind of conflict is like the women bring up issues and just want to be heard. And the men often come from this like, I'm going to fix it for you. And it's not like Mm-hmm. Not every man and not every woman, of course, but I do feel like it's sort of like this gender a little bit more leans towards fixing things if you're a male 
and mm. towards listening if you're female, but not always. You know what's funny is that my husband and I are definitely the opposites of that. Oh, that's funny. He is, yeah, I definitely am, like, more try to fix things, and I've really learned after 18 years that, like, he doesn't, and he's actually really good at communicating that. Like, I just want you to listen to me. And that's awesome. So one we thing I approach that, yeah. is, like, when he's talking about work stuff, I'm like, so is this, like, a listening thing, or is this, like, a fixing? Like, do you want helps? Because sometimes mm-hmm. he wants, like, help and tips and things and I have to just be like well I okay I'm just gonna listen and it can be a challenge for me if you're someone who has that like ideas that like yeah. oh my gosh I, I have such a good idea about how you could do that but he doesn't always want that I've learned over the many years to just like mm-hmm, yeah and revalidating too and I do that I've learned right. from my girlfriend who taught me that to to validate him to help him, you know like yeah. that just helps like him work out his say stuff. it back to them and like yeah like in the same and like a different way maybe or even even saying it back in the same way like, i totally really agree helpful. and then so i was gonna say this too she talks about compassion that like what does imperfection why does imperfection help us cultivate compassion first of all out of like our own only here's a quote she says only when we know our own darkness well can we become present with the darkness of others? Mm. So it's like by sinking into our own vulnerability and shame and all that, like, can we sit with someone else's and just be there with them? Ooh, right. Yeah. That gives me goosebumps. That's yes. so good. I know. That I love her good. so much. She does a really good job. Yeah. And so, and she says like, we can only love others as much as, as we, we love, love ourselves. ourselves. So we, by loving ourselves, by fulfilling like that compassion for ourselves, mm-hmm. we actually create more room to have compassion for others in our lives. And I think that's so important. Like it's so true. And I think of people that I've been in relationship with in the past that I've felt like, oh yeah, that was the problem. Like there was so no much compassion. lack of love for themselves. They had oh, nothing yeah. to give to another person. Like it was just Well you're stuck. giving from that empty cup. And there was yeah. like when I was younger, I was probably in that same space too. I didn't always love myself and I had grown up with so much shame and guilt. It took me years, fucking years to get out of that space of self-hate and then actually growing into self-love. Isn't it interesting that we're not taught that? Like, I think now I definitely am really conscious and teaching my kids like to love themselves and Milo, who's actually outside with Cedar Cedar right now because he was just having a horrible, horrible morning. And he, like, if I say anything to him, he's outside of the window, a little fart. He's real cute, though, with his red hair and freckles. (laughs) And he's like, I don't love myself. That's so gross. Ew. And then I have Junie, two years older, and she's like, oh, yeah, Mom, you got to love yourself. you got to hug yourself. And she's so, like, she, she gets it. But it's yeah. it's an interesting like concept, and I t- I love how Brene she talks about Kristen Neff, who I love. She wrote a wonderful book called Self Compassion, and she actually just released. Oh my gosh, what is it called? It's a new compassion book, and it's like floating away from me. Oh, courage, courageous compassion. I have to like look it up. But it is. I just got it, and I thought maybe we could read it for our oh, next nice. book club. And it's talking like she talks about. Brene talks about in her book a lot about how this like softer, tender side of us, but then we have to learn how to cultivate like this other, like, I don't know if it's brave compassion or, but it's so... It's similar. Yeah. I know. I kind of know what you're yes, trying to say. Yes. yes. And like Brene talks about compassion and boundaries and how yes. you really need boundaries mm-hmm. to be compassionate, even though sometimes boundaries don't seem the most compassionate. And she talks about, and this really resonated with me, sweet on the outside 
but resentful on the inside. Oh. And like how we can wear this really sweet exterior yes. and have it not go all the way through. Yes. <laughs> and I totally was like, oh, so like now good. what you want to do is flip it. Mm. So it's, you're sweet on the outside, but you're willing to hold boundaries and yes. be firm on the, you know. And so that book is called Fierce Self-Compassion. So it's a new twist oh, on compassion. Cool. And she talks about how us as women, so it's actually targeted for women, that us as women are taught to be these compassionate, kind, caring, helpful beings. And actually, I love how Brene talks about in her book, it was like that personality test. Do you remember that part? And she like had this idea in her mind oh, that she, it was like yeah. one out of 10 and two was like the helper, like the most helpful person. And she always wanted to be a two, but she's a nine. She's like a leader. She's, you know, she's outspoken. She's you know, all of these things. And she had to realize that she like, didn't always have to be this, like, you know, this, in this book, fierce compassion that hopefully can be one on our book club. We'll get that on the list of like being this more fierce, grounded, like compassionate person, but also like standing up for what we believe is right. Right. And I love, I, I put this quote up on my Facebook page actually the other day, which just remind me of that. It says, is she being rude or have you been socially conditioned into believing that women should be warm, positive and friendly at all times and are uncomfortable when they don't adhere to that behavior? Ah, oh, good. That's well, so like, good. Yes. Cause when women put up boundaries, a lot of times we're, we're seen as bitches yes. or control freaks. And it's like how quickly yes. does that switch? Like men are supposed to put up boundaries. So they're not judged for that. For being soft. Men are supposed to be hard. Yeah. And then if men are soft, it's like, oh, they're effeminate or. But the truth is we all, we all have masculine and feminine in us. Like that's part of the yes. yin and yang. And so like if we shut down one side of our being, it's going to be lopsided. It's going to be imbalanced. Oh, yes. Well, and in yoga, we practice even there's like this breath that's all about balancing that feminine and masculine energy within us. Yes. That like if we can do that, like in how you were talking about too, that we need, you know, find if we can find balance in our lives. Totally. And so, and then she talks about like love and belonging. I think that's the next thing, exploring the power of love, belonging, and being enough. Yeah. And just how like, that's that deep, the shame is being afraid that we won't belong, that we won't be loved, that we're unworthy. Yes. And like, how do we address that? And then. With love, right? It's like the opposite of shame. Connection and courage. Yeah. It is good. And belonging is like that. There's also this false sense of belonging belonging that you know we see it in our children all of the time that children think oh she yeah. called it fitting in versus belonging oh, okay and she said they're opposites even though they seem like the same because fitting in means denying a part of yourself in order to mm. fit in whereas belonging means that you're showing up authentically and being accepted for who you are oh i like that which i really love because i think how much of our life do we spend trying to fit in yeah. to groups or trying to fit in and to the popular group or fit into this. Whereas yes. if you already are that, you're just going to belong there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so and true. Not with popular girls in high school, but just in general. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and even she talks about how like, you know, in the groups, the high school groups of like changing your clothes. And you even did that too in your book. You write about that in your book. I'm yeah. like, you know, you change it where you're like cowgirl. And then like, what was the other style? Well, yeah. Like, I mean, I grew up <laughs> in this like cowgirl town where it was like cool to dress like a cowgirl and it was okay. Totally. That was part of fitting in. Right. Yeah. And then I went to high school in Colorado and it was like, cowgirls were like nerds. Yeah. And, so and you're like, like oh, what do I, I need to do that. to fit in? What do I, I need gotta, to wear? Right. Do I need to wear the, and I think every kid in high school goes through that. Like, 
I need to fit in. Oh, yeah. I don't know who I am, but I'm going to look like them or belong to them. I know, and I hate that about high school, like the cliques. Like, why do you have to be a certain way to be accepted and, and approved of, right? Yeah. And even from there, it's like that's where we can get our sense of, like, belonging. Because even it's like we fit in because we want to belong so bad. And it's usually, like, because we feel like we don't belong in our lives. We don't belong... Like, you felt like that with your parents. I felt like that. Like, I don't belong here. Like, I'm right. not these people. Like, that sense of belonging, yeah, could be, like, thrown off by people who shun you or put unreasonable expectations up. And then you're like, wait, I'm supposed to belong. This is my family. And yet, I don't feel like I belong. Totally. I feel like I'm just trying to fit in yes. by having these outward shows of things. But it's like, I don't really belong I don't here. feel like I belong here, yes. And then she, I love how she talks to you about how, like, we think we're going to be worthy of love and belonging when these things happen. Yes. Like if this was true or and when, when this, this happens, when I finish college or if I manage to write a book, then I'll be accepted or whatever it is. Like, yes. she's like, we need to come to terms with the fact that we're worthy of love now. right now I do as we that. are. Yes. We were worthy of belonging right now. There's yes. no conditions. It's so true. And I think I'm trying to remember exactly how it was, but her and her husband, I don't remember what his name is. Do you remember his name? Whatever his name was, sorry, but she husband. talks about like this. <laughs> sorry, Brene's husband, Mr. Brown. If they have the same. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> or not. But how they had like a list. It was like a happiness list. And she noticed the list was like, it required them to make more money and to do more things and more activities and more of this, more of that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, if, if and when, like, the kitchen is better. Oh, if it, the, I get the kids in all of these activities. And then they decided to make, like, a joy list. And these were things that they could actually accomplish today and now. Mm-hmm. And it was just, like, the small things. And she was noticing that, like, she didn't have her kids in as many activities as a lot of the parents did because she wanted to focus or she wants to focus on, like, things that – authentically bring them happiness or joy opposed to like putting your kid in every single sport, every single thing, every activity, because maybe they wouldn't get into the Ivy league college of their choice. If they didn't have Chinese underwater basket knitting, I don't know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's that like always competing, competing against this version in our heads of what we want ourselves Those false to be. Imperfections. Yes. Like we think we need to be this perfect way and it's such bullshit. Like we need to be these, you know, like perfect moms, perfect business owners, perfect women in the world. And we're not like, that's what this book is like the gifts of imperfection. Like it's, and it's like that, the tagline again, let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. And that's how you live this wholehearted life. It's not always trying to push the goals and out higher and higher and farther and farther. So you can never reach them. You're always unhappy. Like, Oh, but there's always some goal to get to. There is. I have to share. I have this cutest little niece, Isla. You've met her, Isla yes. Jane. And she's so cute. And she has definitely like ADD. And she's so busy and has such high energy. And she loves crafting and writing and drawing. And she'll do her craft. And it's just like a slobbery mess and all of the things. And she'll go, great, perfect. And she'll put it out <laughs> in like her writing, just scribbly, scribbly. Great, perfect. And I used to like, it used to bug me because I'm like, nothing is perfect. But her version of perfect is perfect for her and it's the freaking cutest thing and she's six years old and like perfect I love that. messy bed like it's perfect mama her mom's like yes okay, okay, no, okay, but, okay. <laughs> but, I, but it's just interesting how her mom is like fostering that like helping her like cultivate like oh you're 
version of perfect is perfect for you. And right. I just love that. I love I just that. Share that. Yes. That's, re- that's so funny because my, my daughter will say to me, mom, you're the perfect mom. And it just, it like grates on me because I'm like, first of all, that's an, not perfect. Yeah, that's an ideal all. that I don't even want to have to live up to for one thing. And I'm definitely not, you know, I'm like if you eyes, hold me to that standard. Mom. So this is what we say. I say, honey, I'm not perfect. I make lots of mistakes, but I'm the perfect mom for you. And then, yeah. so she says that now she'll say, mommy, you're per, you're the perfect mom for me. Perfect. Like, perfect. The perfect daughter for me. I always say perfectly imperfect. Yes. And I love because we are. It's it's interesting how we are so trained to, I don't know, it was like from a young age. I remember I got a job as a hairstylist and I had this ideal of this perfect life of having my house and then having the perfect furniture and the dishes and having my house cleaned and then this idealism of getting the dogs and then we literally built like a white it wasn't a white picket fence it was a white vinyl fence we had the white vinyl fence we had the two dogs and then we had the baby but it was nothing was perfect and I was depressed and I was anxious and I'm like what the fuck like where is this perfectness yeah and I really get what we think is supposed to happen like oftentimes we aren't really that happy no and it's not that perfect even though it looks and how much imperfection and shame is all hiding I was gonna say yeah I think perfect exterior was thinking like yeah all of that like that was it was a facade of like okay I'm feeling really sad inside but my house looks nice and if I have company over my house will be so clean and they'll think I am perfect because I'll do my hair and my makeup perfect Mm -hmm. and my clothes will be perfect and, and then like I'm feeling like shit how many times have you gone over to a friend's house where everything looks so perfect they're perfect everything's perfect and then you just feel shitty about yourself you're I like I hate that oh, fuck this <laughs> I don't feel good about myself yes. anymore because this is also perfect um, and in reality neither one of you feel perfect but it's like creating this shame spiral where you're both experiencing shame and it's so sad and it's like what if that person just like so actually, whatever. This is how I, really I showed feel. up in my pajamas and my sink is full of dirty dishes, but welcome anyways. And then exactly. that friend comes over and is like, "Oh, I'm so relieved. Oh, thank you that your house is not perfect." And that actually happens to me sometimes when yes. you're coming over. Oh I'm my like, gosh. "I gotta clean no, up because Shelly's coming." And then I'm like, no, "Wait, you don't." That's old Sarah, who's perfectionistic, who thinks no, like, you don't. "I mean." I try to keep my house tidy, but not perfect. But isn't it funny? Because sometimes I do that too. If you come over and I'm like, oh, my house is so messy. But I'm like, it's fucking Sarah. And she accepts me. It makes me feel better when your house is slightly messy. Yes. Good. Good. Yes. Well, I do have this like programming of that you, when you have house company and I actually did have guests come and I fucking cleaned for four hours, busted my ass. But I was like in that vibe. Like I hired this house cleaner who no showed and I was like, fuck my shower has like mold there's poop and pee all over the toilet like I have to get cleaning and I cleaned everything well we have all these house guests and then they leave my house fucking trash no my house was trash and I was like pissed I was like my house is so messy right now but it was like I did it to myself Mm -hmm. and then I was like you know what it's fine like it's it was so weird I just did it to myself like that weird imperfection and then karma the laws of the universe came around and then my sister even called and was like, I'm so sorry that I left your house so messy because she usually helps me. And I was like, you know what? It's fine to have an imperfect, dirty house sometimes. <laughs> it's just fine to be yourself and be normal. Like, yes, 
I don't live in a pig pen and I wouldn't feel comfortable inviting people in because I wouldn't want to make them uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But also in the same light, like if my house is spotless and not a drop of dust anywhere and nothing out of place, that's probably going to make them uncomfortable too. Oh my gosh. I just remember having my house on the market. I'm thinking of a year ago. And you literally have to have your house perfect. Oh, and my I have kids that experience too in my life. And, and it's it awful. sucks. And I remember the minute my house went under contract, I was like, yes. Like, just like, uh, <laughs> like, I don't care if there's a, like a sink full of dishes, but I do also get, it gives me like anxiety when my house is so messy. Me too. Yes. It gives me a lot of anxiety. So that's why I do it. And I think it is actually, for me, it's like therapeutic to clean my house. And you used to help clean my house and you'd yeah. be like, you're like, I can help move this energy. And I feel like that too. Like, dirty. Like, I can clear this dirty absolutely. energy. I clean my house now for me. Yeah. I don't clean it for other people. Like I prefer, I have more clutter in my house right now than I really want, but I'm going to let myself get to that when I want. Exactly. When I can. It's yours. I don't like dust because I really believe dust holds negative energy and dirt and stuff. And it's really healthy for me to just clear it out and, it but I let things go good. sometimes too. When I'm really busy, I let it go. And then I, when I have time, I come to it with pure, loving, joyful energy. I'm not like shamed while I'm cleaning or stressed or guilty or like anxious. I'm just cleaning. That was how I felt on it. Monday morning. And honestly, it was for four hours, but I was, so it just hard. felt yes. good though. It felt good. I was, and I don't, I mean, yes, I was doing it because I had company, but also it just like, it was feeling good. And I just felt like I was like moving through and I was like, oh my gosh, oh, I haven't done this. And I hadn't cleaned my, honestly, I haven't cleaned my shower that clean. Like the whole time I've lived in my house. Like I haven't, and I was scrubbing and sweating and all of the smells were going and then I rinsed it and I was like, Oh, that feels so good. And I looked at it and there's this like self accomplishment. I'm like now I can take a nice shower in here and it feels feel good. So and I did, nice. I took a shower after cause it was like my ending point. And it was like, Oh, I did all of this and it felt good for me. Yeah. Nice. So then Brene talks about these like, well, she talks about things that get in the way which I think we could touch on that real quick. She's like, just because you know how to eat healthy doesn't mean you eat healthy. Just yes. because you know how to exercise properly yes. doesn't mean you do it. And she's like, no one ever really talks about that. Like, how what? do you, like, the how do you address blocks. what gets, yeah, our blocks, what gets in the way of doing what we know to be best for ourselves? And when and, there's a lot of like self-limiting beliefs too, of like, I don't have enough time. And I think that's the biggest one. Like, I don't have time for myself. I don't have time for self-care. I don't have time to drink water. It's or like, I'm not worthy of Well, then you obtaining. have time. I always think when people are like, I don't have time to drink water. I'm like, well, then you must have time for a headache, my friend, because you're going to get a headache. Like my kids do that frequently in the summertime. And I always put their waters out, even this morning. And I look over and everyone's up from the table and there's all these waters. I'm like, you guys, you're going to get headaches. You're going to be dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Slow down. I know you're busy. I know you have a lot of things that you're playing in your little minds, drink your water. Like, make Plus, yourself healthy. Like, taking a sip of water while you do something is also possible, That's right? allowed. That's yeah. okay. It is. And just taking time to even acknowledge maybe those blocks or those things that get in our way. Right? Just notice them and, and be willing to talk about them with vulnerability. Like, I know for me, getting up and being creative and focusing on myself first thing in the morning, that I know to be good for me, and yet... Things get in your way. Get like I'll your start kids. looking at Facebook or Cedar wakes up before I even have a chance to do anything, and it's that's like, always my like nemesis when my kids are up before me. I'm like, no, <laughs> I, literally... I just know I'm like this day's shit, and it's probably a self limiting belief. But I'm like, 
<laughs> I know. I like got myself all set up this morning. I had like some art to do for my class nice. and I had a book to read and I wanted to do some writing and I had my piano on. And then I look over and I'm thinking to myself like, this is great. It's only seven and Cedar's usually sleeping, sleeping. and all of a sudden she's there. And I'm like, okay, and we're shifting gears. And I'm trying not to seem disappointed to see you right now. Yes. (laughs) I'm so happy you're awake. I'm so happy you're here, but also I really wanted to get some work done. Oh my gosh. And we negotiate. I used to have so, I used to wake up for honestly two straight years between five and 530 AM. I was like a military person. I get very obsessive. I probably have OCD a little bit and Jack was still nursing at the time and he would wake up with me he was just like up like he like could sense my energy even when he's not sleeping in the same room as me just up with me so I just had to do my mornings with him and some mornings actually I, th- I write about it in one of my books he's like throwing like blocks and like because ah, his Lego tower fell down or something and I'm like literally sitting there trying to do this meditation and I'm like listening to it and I'm like on a crystal and I'm supposed to be beaming with all this energy and here's Jack fucking throwing a fit on the floor and I'm like god damn it I am not peaceful I am trying to be present here yes but I'm like in, I'm like halfway in that like state what is that brain state is it theta that we get in for meditation I so ah, I'm like trying yeah. to remember those it's like I was like halfway in there but then my brain was like real life bam bitch slap <laughs> I'll come and bitch slap and you sometimes. And I think that it's like, it's so important because we have to find this, you know, this balance in our lives that yes, there's going to be those mornings, those quote unquote perfect mornings where it's like, hi, I get to do all of my things. I get to wake up, do my yoga, my meditation, my art, my reading. And then there's mornings where it's not even in the cards at all. Right. And, and I, I think yeah. like getting so attached to the, I struggled so much with perfectionism. Yes. And getting too. attached to this perfect ideal of, you know, your appearance and your lifestyle and your, what you tell people about yourself and, you know, who, you know, all these things, what people see. And it's not authentic though. Mm-mm. And I'm really loving this. And her book is just spot on for that of like, not only accepting your imperfections, but loving, embracing your imperfections. Which is so hard. It's (sighs) so hard, but realizing that's part of you. That's what makes us all human. If we weren't, if we were all perfect, like how boring ass world would this be? Like, yeah, it would be so boring. Everyone would have their perfect life and we would all be fucking boring. Yeah. Well, and it's those moments to where we can come back to her, like the three C's and like that compassion and I don't know what I was like doing some like compassion test. I think it's in that new book, fierce compassion, but it's just like the amount of compassion that we give ourselves. And a lot of times, like I thought that I gave myself a lot of compassion. I don't give myself nearly as much. I'm really hard on myself. Oh yeah. And there she talks about, like, she oh says, gosh, we say things to ourselves that we would never say to other people. Yeah. Can you imagine talking to someone else the way you talk to yourself? No. Now I have switched that to where now I would be proud to talk to someone else the way I talk totally. to myself. But yeah, there was like, and I mean like the first 30 years of my life, I think totally where if you were on the receiving end of what I said to myself, you would hate me. You would, you would run. Be, you'd be like crying in the bushes, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It's awful the way we speak to ourselves. Like, yeah. that's not right. It isn't. And then having yes. that compassion for others can only come out of our own imperfection. Like, it's how, true. How much compassion would we have for Yeah, people and like being okay with it. We, we are perfect. all, and we're all perfect. And knowing too that like, she talks about Kristen Neff's work too in that compassion yeah. piece that, 
if you realize that you're not alone in how you're feeling, like you're not alone in your pain and suffering and you're not alone in feeling flawed and imperfect, that if we can allow that piece and that's that connection piece too that comes back around that we are all really feeling all of these emotions. Everyone is like off and on. And yeah. even if you're somebody who says, no, you don't, I would like you to just like take a moment and take a step back and reevaluate because we all have these human emotions and like Brene says, part of being human is the feeling and dealing with that shame because mm-hmm. it, it, it's just like one of these things and it's like the collective consciousness, like we can't help but be a part of this collective consciousness of the planet and of, especially of our town, our city, our neighborhood, like we are a part of this consciousness, whether or not we yeah. want to admit it or not, we're here. Yeah. There's a vibration in the space that surrounds us, you know? And she says every time that we choose courage and choose to be vulnerable, we actually raise like the, we make the world braver. We, we make do. everybody's and that like, gives experience. Me and it really, I just wanted to say thank you, Brene, because I loved hearing that from her. And then it just was like, Sarah, yes, yes. we are doing this. Like we are, totally. we are doing these hard things and saying the scary stuff. And there's that like sense as you're to bring this around to like being an author and writing is like when you're writing a memoir and you're putting it out there, it's Brave hard because you're putting your <laughs> most shame, sometimes your most shameful experiences you're putting out there for the world to read. Not because it does anything for you. No, we're looking for, we're not looking for belonging and approval. We're just doing it. Honestly, it's almost counterintuitive. You're like, here, look, it's the worst thing I ever did. Yeah. Right there. Um, Read that. But (laughs) guess what? It is, it is like bringing that connection piece where people could be like, Oh, you did that too. Yes. I'm not alone. (gasps) Right. Relief. Relief. And I know like when I'm writing songs, I write about just real hard things and truth even though maybe it's hard to sing about and it's vulnerable. people will come up to me afterwards sometimes and be like, thank you so much for that song. Like it mm. really meant a lot to me because so maybe it's hard for people to say it, but when you say it, they're like, Oh, that's so I'm not alone. Yes. Like we are connected. I'm not alone in this. So then she, the bulk of her book actually is about these 10 guideposts and they're each pretty short. So she goes through them pretty fast, but We'll just kind of read through them. And yes, then we can chat, about, chat them. about them. So guidepost one is cultivating authenticity, letting go of what people think. And I love this quote that says, what other people think of you is none of your business. It really isn't. It's only what you think about yourself. It's like we live so much in other people's minds and we need to get out of their heads. It's not our business to be in there. No. At all. And cultivating authenticity, I mean, it can mean so many things, but to me, it's, it's like the gatekeeper of truth. Just being authentically who you are right imperfections flaws and all just showing up and saying the hard things I think it's always like that voice in the back that you want to say that you're afraid to say that thing that's probably the thing that would be the most helpful for you to say yeah it really is even though it's the scariest thing to say I remember I used to be really defensive of being wrong and I always had to like throw up some excuse about why it wasn't my fault of course and be like now, Deflection. yes. Now it's like if I did something wrong, I usually lead with I fucked up or I made a mistake, and then I go into it. You know, it's like just own it. Like yes. don't try to skirt around it. Be like I made a mistake, and here's what happened. And yes. then people tend to respond so much better than if you're like, well, this thing happened, and then this thing happened, so it wasn't really my fault. And then people are just like, what? Yeah, and cr- that's like cringe worthy. Like yeah. that is like. 
the opposite of cultivating authenticity. Exactly. So it's like letting go of what people think is a huge thing. It's like that judgment piece, which is hard. You have to just almost like, I almost like imagine like wiping yourself clean of all of the judgment and just stepping into you, which mm-hmm. you can do. If Sarah, I feel like if Sarah and I can do that, like anyone can do that. You can step into who you are and it leads you to a more fulfilling, like authentically, like joyful way of living your life. Like totally. authentically. Authenticity. And then yes. so guidepost to cultivating self-compassion, letting go of perfectionism. I, I heard someone say, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Okay, you love that. And quote. I love yes, that quote. Because it's, it's like, you realize you're always going to be on this continuum of letting it go. Yes. And it's okay. And it is. And coming back to that self-compassion piece that really, if we can do some like inner soul work, and it's the work that's inside, you can't find this work outside. And you can't find it from other people. Yes, like Sarah was saying, you can talk to a therapist or a counselor, but they're not telling you what to do. You're working out your own shit. Yes. And it's, you know, it's the moments where, you know, we do fuck up or, you know, like we're overwhelmed in life. And when we can just slow down and like give ourselves that break, that compassion that we give to other people. I think of like, think of yourself as like a little child crying on the floor. Like, what would you do for that little child? Like what you'd pick them up, you'd hug them, you'd nurture them. Like, So what are you going to do for yourself when you're struggling and having like, overwhelm or anxiety or that little child that's trying so hard to do something perfect and can yeah and get so upset like, like trying to tie their shoe what I think are you Jack gonna tell them? shoe like it's okay buddy keep trying like look the the value is in trying like yeah. you did that already like good and job. if it ends up like a floppy knot that's fine like have that floppy right. knot and and again like coming back to that work from Kristen Neff that she speaks of she wrote that book self-compassion in the fierce self-compassion that we are not alone in our pain and our suffering. And that's like a huge awakening to, to just know that peace that you're not alone in how you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And that can, that can soften a lot of that unrealistic expectation of perfectionism to just know you're not alone. That's totally. like a tiny little thing that can help you. I know that that's something I go like into shame spirals over is feeling like, like why does everyone else have it all figured out? And I don't, or whatever, like, other people seem to have their life figured out. Like they know how to pay rent or whatever. They know how to keep a job or they know how to like, whatever it is that I was struggling with at that time. Yeah. It's like, you can think of a hundred people that are doing it right. And you're doing it wrong. But you but can probably come up with a thousand people who are doing yes. worse off than you. I know, it's all about that perspective and that yes. self-compassion of like, look, you know, you're not perfect and no one is. And in Even this if moment, they look like it. Yeah, and just, I think just, and then this kind of winds back to guidepost one of like cultivating authenticity and letting go of what people think is that like, you just have to show up where you are in your life and just do your best in that moment. And sometimes our best sucks. And sometimes we show up and we have a headache or a tummy ache and we're like, ugh, that's your best in that moment, yeah. right? The best you can do. Accepting it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so then guidepost three is cultivating a resilient spirit, letting go of numbing and powerlessness. I really liked that chapter Me a too. lot. I think she talks a lot about like spirituality and like... And substances and how she... She said she wasn't an alcoholic. She was a professional number outer, which yes, I love. I love that. I was, was like, so wait, good. I can kind of resonate with that. Like, I just, especially from my past of like, 
I'm not feeling great, so I'm going to go get high, or I'm going to go get drunk, or I'm going to run around and do something completely different and ignore. I'm going to get a coffee. I'm yes. going to get a chip. There's always chips. something else to cover Hug this up, right? It, it's so true, and it's like you're always taking that edge off. And I was actually, I was really like, my husband would hate that I'm saying this, but he's such a, he's a professional um, edge number. Mm. Like he's like, he started drinking coffee and now he's chewing again and he's just drinking his beers and all of the things or kombucha. He always has like this fix and it drives me crazy. And I'm not just, I have to let go and just, I'm accepting him. And I obviously am, will say things that I'm like, this is not healthy for you. Like it's not healthy to chew. It's really not like, yeah. Plus like what examples you don't have. Well, and you don't have a gallbladder. He hasn't had a gallbladder for like five years and he stopped drinking coffee. And all of a sudden he's like a meprazole. So he's just (laughs) taking a pill so he can drink coffee (laughs) because, and it was good for me to read this chapter because I was like, Oh my gosh, he's just that edge. He's just numbing the edge. And I see that. And I do it too. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is we all do this and what does, like, what does Brene say about that is, like, going into that experience instead of trying to numb out from it. Yeah, and just answer. let yourself feel that. Feel that fully and just realize right. it's not that bad. And it's not, and the thing is, is even if it is that bad, it's not going to last forever. It's because temporary, yeah. it really is. And, I mean, in the moment, it's hard when you are feeling really depressed or really anxious. It feels like the world is coming down on you. I mean, there's some people who have. Ah, like my sister with her hypochondriac thing like I can't even it's hard for me to wrap my mind around like yeah. the things and I'm like oh my gosh I want to help you and I'm like, oh it's hard yeah and then realizing that we have like that power instead of outsourcing our power onto something else yes like insourcing yes that's my new word for the year by the way Ooh. it's insourcing oh I like insourcing and so sourcing from yourself that power yes. and that love and like not needing others opinions of you to be a certain way or their their like outward mm-hmm. show of love towards you to be a certain way because like you give all that to yourself yeah and Renee talks a lot about her like spiritual awakening um, that she experienced a lot and I mm-hmm. love how she shares about her meditation experience which is so similar to I think all of ours that yeah. went the first time. I don't know. You're like, you oh my God, I can't do this. Oh my gosh. My mind won't shut off. Oh God. Okay. I need to go to the store. I need tomatoes. I need bananas. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, oh fuck, I'm doing this wrong. I can't even meditate. I've, I failed again. I failed like at every meditation. Every 10 seconds you're bringing your mind back. I'm like what? Yeah. Where did I go? And knowing that that is part of that mindfulness practice, which last week we did an episode on mindfulness, motherhood, and multitasking. If you haven't listened, it's great, but we talk about that too. It's like mindfulness is showing up in whatever form presents itself. So even if it's, if your mind is so busy, because there is this false perception that I held out there that if I meditated, and even Milo says this to me, like not everyone is peaceful and calm yogi like you. I'm not a fucking peaceful calm yogi all the time like yeah I strive for that but your meditation or your spiritual practice is just allowing yourself to hold for me it's holding space for yourself it's not altering your state of being which sometimes you know like we've owned in our women's circle and that will literally change your state but sometimes it's just digging deep and just feeling into that I feel like yeah it's more about being present and honest about what's happening now instead of trying to shove it become down. some great mindful peaceful being or you know that's a misconception of a lot of people have but it's like definitely not in practice not really true like you 
you might slowly shift over time towards being more compassionate and more aware and more present, but that's slow progress. It's not, it's just because you've slowly started to tune in more and more. Yes. And mm-hmm. it does change you over time, but it's not your goal. You yeah. Know? Um, okay, so we'll go on to guidepost number four, cultivating gratitude and joy, letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark. Ooh, Ooh and I had major scarcity mindset for a long time. I, yeah, most of us, I feel like, do. We're raised on that. Yeah. Like, growing up, we were very poor. We and I too. had, I remember getting, like, literal, actual stomach aches when I saw my mom writing a check. Because I always felt like she, we were going to run out of money. And I knew there was a limited amount. And I didn't oh, have this concept of more money going in. I didn't understand it all, but I just knew that like every time she wrote a check, she'd be like, oh, she'd yes. sigh. Oh, good thing we have that overdraft protection on our checking account. Oh, Jesus. And she would say that, you know, and if we wanted to buy a candy bar or something, I'd, oh, kids, you know, we can't afford those things. Oh my goodness. And then growing so up with this fear of like mindset. not being able to pay our rent, not being able to, oh, God will provide is what we were told. But then like there was so much fear. I worried that there someone wouldn't provide. Yeah. And it's interesting because I have done a lot of work with Louise Hay and I really have taken this on. So when you actually are paying your bills, it's so important for you. So like coming to that gratitude, it's like, I'm so grateful to pay this bill. Like I'm so grateful for this house and this space, right? Mm -hmm. Your electricity, but I'm so grateful that I have light and electricity versus putting that low vibration out because the we laws of attraction are what you put out or it's going to come back. So you're yes. going to attract oh. more poverty, right? So yes. Do you want to attract po- prosperity or poverty? Because the more I was afraid of being impoverished, the more impoverished I was. Like Me literally too. it just I kept, it was like, in, like it just kept happening. And I was like, what is going on? And it was only in this last year that I felt like I've, like this open. cultivated this like mindset of abundance and that there yes. is enough there's enough in the world for me there's enough in the world for everyone and I picture myself <laughs> Shelly knows that I love this I picture I myself standing it. with my arms up like in a big wide Aww. open V and the earth is raining down abundance and blessings and wealth and joy and Connie and I'm just that. receiving it like almost like you're standing in underneath a waterfall yeah and it's just pounding down on your head and that's and there's so much it's flowing off of me into a pool and other people can have it too. And there's like, more because there there's is more than, more I need. than enough. There. And, and ever yeah. since I've had that perspective and had that visualization, like that has been what's happening in my life. Like I haven't had this fear of running out at all and Good. things that just keep coming. Like when I need it, Oh look, now there's another check from here and look now yes. there's another, Oh, your tax return is huge this year. And I love it. I mean, it just keeps coming. And I just keep picturing like this bath of abundance. Yes. This is a huge, huge affirmation, but I've literally said it for six years and it's from Bob Proctor. He's awesome. And it's, I'm so happy and grateful now that money comes to me and increasing mass quantities from multiple sources continuously. And I've mm. literally journaled that thousands, thousands of I'm so happy and grateful now that money comes to me in increasing mass quantities. And I just imagine that, like imagine checks coming in. Mm-hmm. And even this is a good imagery that you can do is when you're sending out, you know, your big rent check or your biggest bills, imagine that going out and then imagine it coming back in threefold. Like in a circle. Yeah. It's like it, it what goes out comes back. Yeah. And it, and just because it goes out, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have enough. It's going to do you have to trust that it's going to come back and the universe will bring you that abundance and that prosperity that you deserve. Yeah. 
And I feel like it's important too to real quick just see the actual abundance and prosperity around you, like the love and the friendship and the connection and the earth and the Mm. trees and And spring and the abundance of life. Well, now it's summer. Yes. It's but I know it's summer now. If you can tap into those feelings first, then you can be open to you know, bigger abundance and prosperity when it comes to wealth and money. Right. Totally. And there's, and like you said in the beginning of that is like the gratitude piece. Yes. It's like when I'm, I do, I do that when I pay my bills, Good. I'm like, I'm so grateful that I can Yay. pay, that I have enough so that good. I can pay this. And that my house is heated. And I lived with somebody over the, like for six years before this, who was so negative and Yucky. fearful about money. Yeah. And it was like, Every bill that we paid was like horrible, negative, scary. Oh my God, we won't have enough if we pay oh, for this bill. There won't be enough hard. for groceries. I and it do was, that. It was like, it just, at first it was, that was their their problem. And then it slowly, it, like it came my problem too. And It does. It's like you are what you assimilate <sighs> yes. with. And that's why you are free. But now free I'm like, I'm never living that way again. <laughs> I love it. All right, so guidepost number five, cultivating intuition and trusting faith, letting go of the need for certainty. That was like a hard one for me because I'm such an intuitive person and she played it like really um, statistical and like study researchy about Mm -hmm. intuition and the Mm -hmm. definition. And I was like, she was very science. And that was hard for me. That chapter was, I was like, well, I believe that intuition is something that is like innately seated inside of us. What did you get from that? Yeah, I, I felt like, she just kind of touched on more like people that have no experience maybe with that intuitive, creative, you know, maybe trusting side, which I've had to sort of live from for a while and trust and develop that intuition. But you and I both kind of live from that space. Yeah. And so if you're not that kind of a person, it's about like just grounding into your inner knowing and your inner wisdom and feeling like you're going to trust what comes next, even if you don't know exactly right. what's going to happen. Like you're going to make the right decision at the right time. And really the intuitive thoughts are literally the first thought that comes. It's not like the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, twelfth thousand thought. And that can be hard too, because when we have such a busy mind mm-hmm. and that's why we need to be aware of like social media and movies and things like that, the more you feed into that, you're, the more busy your mind is going to be. So it's like allowing ourselves to even to slow down. And she talks about trusting in faith. It's like, for me, that's like trusting in myself. So you have to allow yourself to get quiet and to step into silence sometimes, even when it's hard and busy, to even be open to your intuition. Because if it's, wow, screens, you know, like this is happening in the world, the Facebook, oh, this friend's going on this, blah, blah, blah. It's too much. And you have to just like try to slip into silence to even understand what intuition means or feels like. And I I wrote a blog article on this called Intuition, Intention, and Inspiration. Yes, go read it. The three the magic sauce of life. If you want to know I love the magic sauce of life. How to like bring magic into your life and have things actually happen. One of them, one of the three is intuition, like following that inner knowing, that inner guide, because it is so much wiser than you realize so mm-hmm. guidepost six cultivating creativity letting go of comparison oh. and oh this was like one of I can't remember exactly the quote but it like totally nailed me in the heart it was like when you see a great composer you think I can't compose like that or you see a great artist and you're like I can't make art as good as them I'm not worthy of anything then I'm not good 
Like, right? Even Brene says, like, I'm not writer. I'm not a writer enough. Or I don't know what the word she is. But she's like, I'm not writery enough. Like, she's like, I don't like, even Brene says in her book, like, I don't feel like I'm a a good enough writer because there's all these other great writers. And then I'm thinking, what? How would you ever say that? And so Brene even talks about how she didn't have any creativity in her life. And she, I don't even know what she was like tapping into. It was like scrapbooking or something like that. Just like different ways of creativity that she never really allowed herself to do, which is like, comes to that, the next guidepost seven, which is cultivating play. Like creativity can be play, play and rest, right? Mm -hmm. Like creativity is like, to me, it's like playing, like freeing yourself and right. In our society, we put all these, like all this value on how busy we are. Yeah. How are you? Oh, I've been so busy. I've got all this going on. I got all this going my on. My kids so, are in this sport, this thing. And this. I really struggle to not fill up my life with things. I mean, because I'm like, wait, I've got a day off. I should be doing something with you that do day off. You do do that. I know. I and do I not. I struggle with allowing rest. Yes. Like scheduling rest into my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's really and hard And that's a good me. noticing. And what does she say? It's letting go of exhaustion. As a status symbol and productivity as self-worth. Oh, and that I... This is like seriously. Well, in so many, that is me. how our world is. I mean, even like, it's like, what are your kids doing this summer? Well, my kids, I mean, usually like, oh, they're doing swim team and soccer. And, and then I actually connected with a mom and I was going to sign my love for fishing and hiking club and all these things. And it actually stressed me out and overwhelmed me. And I was like, no, we're going to not do anything, but whatever the fuck we want to this summer. If we want to go to the pool, my sisters will go to the pool. If we want to go for a hike, we'll go for a hike. Like yeah. I, who my children are is not determined by what activities that they're in and how many, I don't know, trophies they win or, which is hard even for us. Let's yeah. like, well, I, I struggle with the productivity yeah. thing, like where I get down on myself for not being productive enough. And I know this and yet I can't seem to like change that yet. And I need to work on it, but it's like, it's a good as soon as I'm having more downtime than I think I should be having, I schedule something. And we don't value rest. It's I like, know. oh, we'll rest when we die. I'll rest when I die in my grave. <laughs> we all will. This is like one thing too I say before bedtime. Like I always acknowledge and honor. Like I'm so grateful that I don't have anything else to do right now but rest and sleep. Mm. And I really will like say that probably like 10, 20 times sometimes if my mind is so busy and I'm like, blah, 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 what the, blah, blah. Like, no. Be, I'm so grateful that like, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do dishes. I don't have to take care of kids. I don't have to write. I mean, I love writing, but you know, sometimes so much, I don't have to do anything. You just have this endless to-do list. And as soon as we take something off, something else goes back on. It's and there, true. It will never go away. And that's the thing. Like if we, one thing is yes. I used to be much worse than I am now. And I used to think if I could just get everything off the list, then I could rest. No, and there's going to be a new guess list. Guess what? I never got off that list, Shelly, and I felt guilty about resting. I felt guilty about sleeping at night and taking a break to eat. Me too. I used to be like, well, I was this hardcore business owner, mom. I can't even eat. There's no type A, hardcore, like everything. I bought a business property. I remodeled it. I hired new employees. I expanded my business. I blah, blah, blah. And like, why? I like in the end I shut the school down and walked away from it because it was way too much. Stress. I was overwhelmed with stress and unhappy and I did all that like for what? Because, because I thought I had to. Because you're like <laughs> the world will see me as a businesswoman and right. this amazing Or the woman. world needs this school and I'm providing it and there was like ego and 
all this stuff mixed in with my desire to help people. And, you know, like, yeah, I finally just let it go. Good. Like dealt with the consequences and the shame and the vulnerability of everyone thinking I did the wrong thing. Yeah, or like, I'm a failure or now. Or failing. Yeah. And I wrote a blog article about failing and like, how to treat yourself it's so... good after that, you know? Yes. So that, that particular one really like hit me hard. Good. <laughs> good. Thank you, Brene. Thank you. Guidepost eight, cultivating calm and stillness, letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle, <gasps> which kind of plays into that. That looping of, of like, well, and yeah, and just like allowing yourself to slip into those silent spaces and knowing that it's okay to be busy and it's okay to be still. Yes. Like, and I feel like yoga is such, for me, it's such a good practice because you could be in like a really heavy flow and you're like moving and doing really hard things. And then all of a sudden you got to take like a child's pose and it's like, oh, thank you. But then that's also those moments where you allow yourself to feel anxiety. Like I know mm-hmm. I get, I get anxiety. Like I'm not oh, doing enough. Not oh doing my enough. gosh. And I know that even in the practice of yoga, it's like a good metaphor that I'll be in that child's pose of resting. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I should be doing a tree pose or I should be doing this because I'm not strengthening my body enough. Not pushing myself. Yeah. I'm enough. not, I'm not hardcore enough yogi. <laughs> and isn't that fucked up? <laughs> but it's like, no. And I feel like, you know, anxiety is something that happens to, I don't know the percentage. I would love to do the research, but I know it happened to so many people that I know in personal life and that we have to hold space for that and know that you know, anxiety is a shared experience too, right? And that there's different things we can do to help ourselves. Like I'm such a, a self-care person and that there's things that we can do to help ourselves in jumping back, tying into that self-compassion piece of like knowing that, I need to give myself compassion for this anxiety or this fear or this overwhelm. This is fucking hard. I'm feeling scared. Sarah and I, we're scared to do this publishing company. and We're scared to put our books out. It's fucking scary. It gives me anxiety. Me too. And I'm like, ah! I know, I know. Just like, we're am I good it. enough to do this? Am I worthy enough to do this? Can I yes. really be a publisher? But we're just, we're still, even though there's anxiety there, we're still doing it. Moving into it with courage. We're moving into it with courage. And I love how and she connection. talks about, in this chapter, she talks about how she was, like, anxiety was her, her bread and butter of life when she was a child. And I totally resonated I with, resonate that. with that. I resonate with I was too. a very anxious child. Mm-hmm. I was... I had fear of everything. I had fear of our house burning down. I had no. fear of dying and going to hell. I had fear of being rejected from my family. I had fear of like literally everything. Yeah. And like even in a car wreck, like my sister wrecked the car once when I was in it and I was like 13. And then I had another car almost wreck experience. And then I was scared of cars and being in them and I would drive like with literally one hand on the door handle. Well, that's that post-traumatic like, stress. Yes, PTSD, but it was yeah, like so disturbing. easy for me to fall into those anxieties. Like if one bad thing happened, it was like my mind would extrapolate out all of the bad things that could happen. Yeah. And like how to just, and she talks about just kind of coming into our calm and like not letting our mind run away with us. Well, even after things. like almost getting to a car accident, like in that moment you could be like, I'm so grateful. Hi, Koa. Just we have Koa here. Like, I'm so grateful that I'm safe. Like, why does the, why do we always, it's interesting. The mind always focuses on what's going wrong. Instead Worst of like, scenario. Oh my gosh, I'm yeah. safe. We're safe. What are we in? Guidepost. So guidepost nine. number nine is cultivating meaningful work. Letting go of self-doubt and supposed to. Oh, that's so So good. we all have these like shoulds about our careers, especially 
are we good enough? Did we do enough with our life or did we rise to the top of our field or well even you Sarah it's a great it's great for like what you experienced and you thought you were supposed to do all these things and you shoved yourself so full until you just broke you down and now it's like do you feel the difference between what meaningful work is yes and stuff that actually fills up your heart and your soul may not look successful quote-unquote on the outside yeah but to you, you are successful if you are doing work that is meaningful and joyful. And we have to believe in ourselves too. It's like even like we're starting and we're such these baby birds and we're fresh. But we, I believe in this. I believe that we can do this. And it's we have to start here. Absolutely. And we're not. You're not going to just start. Brene Brown started somewhere. Everyone started somewhere. You know, like we are. We're here and we're showing up today. And we just have to put that I that belief foot down like I believe in this like I believe that I can do it and I think that that visual I always like to visualize us like I visualize like people reading our books and listening to this podcast and yeah, yeah. well and then there's like, like meaningful so have you ever just met somebody new and they're like oh well what do you do for a living you're and like, you have ah. this like shame <laughs> oh, instant shame and you're like uh well, I'm kind of a loser, you know, like you start, I, I uh, haven't figured my life out yet, and I'm in my 40s, I mean, you know how we all come up with this, like, totally. suddenly when someone asks us, what do you do, it's like, uh, like uh, um, I gotta justify myself, uh, I don't just do one thing, I, I do many things, isn't that funny, isn't it funny, I'll be like, though? I'm a stay-at-home mom, but then I teach yoga one day a week, and then I own a publishing company with my friend, and I write books, and people are like, oh, how do you do all that, like, I don't know, I just do, but it's fulfilling. But everything that I do, I feel like right now versus then is I, I am fulfilled. Like I don't do anything because I have to. Everything is, I want to do all of this. Yes. I'm and sure how that many people are stuck to. in like careers, even if they're great careers, even if they pay well they and come hate. with a lot of like accolades and society thinks that, oh, it's so great you do that. But what, like how many people are stuck there because they don't want to leave that? So many. They don't want to let that go or let or other security. people down but they really hate it yeah a lot of people a huge chunk for so sure. she's I love how she just talks about like cultivating which is like such a gentle way of you know not or like, growing cultivate yes. yeah grow cultivate. meaningful yes. work in your life even if it's small even if it's like a little piece. well and just that word supposed to I learned that actually from Louise Hay several years ago to let out the word like supposed to and have to and like should. I'm supposed yeah and I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this or I should yeah I should yeah. it's true anytime you find yourself saying supposed to or should like look back and say wait who said that yeah who is making you yeah, and maybe it's or I have to watch my kids like, well why? I get to watch my kids I choose I'm choosing to mother my children mm-hmm. like even though it's you know it's hard work I choose this I'm choosing this walk of life exactly and then final guidepost cultivating laughter song and dance letting go of being cool and always in control I love I love I loved that part in her book where she talks about her daughter was about eight and they were going to the mall and she said she's wearing these big baggy sweatpants and a t-shirt and her hair's greasy so she pulls it up 
in this high bun. Big mom bun. And she looks <laughs> over and there's just a group of like moms in their fancy, pointy, tall shoes and their daughters all dressed up. And her daughter comes around the corner and she's like dancing and doing all of these moves. And then all of the ladies, the like pretentious snobs look over like, <gasps> and they're whispering in her. And she says something like, oh, hey, maybe you should do this sprinkler move. And she was like, in that moment, I could choose to be accepted and belonging by these women. Fitting in. Or fitting in. Or I could pick my daughter. And so I pick my daughter. She says she starts doing her moves. And they're just for another minute just are both dancing and like doing the robot and all these moves, which I freaking love I that. Love, I love like, that Brene, fuck, yes, that was awesome. Like, I love when I'm around someone who can just authentically be themselves and they don't feel like they need to be cool. Like, I, I took this uh, song school workshop one time from this guy who just... I don't know. Like, it was just one of those revolutionary moments. And mm-hmm. I'm going to pull up his name because I can't think of it right now. But anyways, he talks about, he's like, what's the, okay, so pe- musicians are notoriously, you know, a little bit nervous sometimes for getting up and sharing their song or their voice in front of people. It's vulnerable. And it's vulnerable. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just like speaking, singing is vulnerable. Especially your own work. And it's your, yeah, it's your voice and people yes. are judging what you say and how you say it and anyway so he got up there in front of the class and he said what's the worst thing that can happen like let's say you mess up completely he's like and then you lay down on the ground and you start rolling around <laughs> saying I'm so awful I'm so terrible he's like anyone want to join me and so he's like literally laying on the ground rolling around <laughs> holding himself saying I'm so terrible and so we all got down on the ground and started rolling around saying I'm so awful and he's like okay well you got the worst part over with so now you're free to just go on. And oh. it was like, yeah, what is the worst thing? Like you mess up and you go, oops. Right. Or and you get you a little embarrassed again. and you start over. Like it kind of helps sometimes to play through like, really, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like, And just you show your humanness. Yeah, yeah you, your imperfections. Like we're all imperfect. That's like, it's kind of like the same with teaching a yoga class. It's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Or what if I forget my poses and I don't know right? what to do? But people don't know. Like, that's what my teacher always instilled in us was that people don't know what you're going to teach them. So even if you mess up or, like, say you play a different chord, no one knows. We don't know what you're, what music you're going to put out into the world, right? Right, exactly. And people, like, often don't even realize you made the mistake. It's no. just you. Okay, so the artist was Peter Himmelman, just so I can Himmelman. I love give that him too. credit. A piece of yeah. Yeah. He's actually Bob Dylan's son-in-law. Oh, very <laughs> which cool. Which is funny, but yeah, I just love his like really like rooted, raw, authentic approach yeah. to songwriting. Like, that's and... a great thing. Like just a question, like what is the worst thing that can happen? Like yeah. what's the worst thing that can now happen? Play it out in your mind to the yes. all the way to the very end, and then be like, yeah, that really and like that bad. really I'll go to bed tonight. I will sleep tonight. I will wake up tomorrow. Like. If the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to die, yeah, maybe you want to reevaluate that. <laughs> yes. But if the that's worst, your moment. <laughs> if you're getting ready, to, like Sarah and I, to publish your book and put it into the world, what's the worst thing that could happen? We're going to help some people. Maybe somebody doesn't like it. Maybe someone won't like it. And then they can go find a new book. Like, that's the worst thing that could probably yeah. happen. Yeah. Totally. I mean, you really should just play out those, like, worst scenarios. Case scenarios for yourself and realize it's not that bad. Yes. And then... I love to like I've been doing this so I I even thought about like I just put on crazy music like it might be disco music or it might be like reggae or and I do bad dancing all over my kitchen I mean like the kind of dancing where if you were my kid 
be and you saw me, you'd be embarrassed. But you're like, yes. <laughs> but I just let it butterfly go. Wing. Whatever I feel like, you know, if I want to do the robot, yes. I do the robot. Like, I don't care. I'm not, it's like that whole dance, like no one's watching, but I literally yes. do. And I try to do it like multiple times a week. Just have a little dance party. And Cedar joins me if yes. she's here. And we whirl around the kitchen and we make up crazy moves. And yes, it's just like, to me, it's the expression of my inner joy. It is. I was trying to think of, we watched this like a hilarious movie, but it was like, they were talking about how when you dance, it means that you're free. Mm. And it was like, it was a really good movie. And I can't remember what it was called, but it was, this boy was like, I will never dance. And his mom was like standing up and just moving and dancing. And she ended up dying in the movie and it was so sad. And he was like having a really hard time in the very end of the movie. He starts dancing. There's no music. And he just starts dancing with this little girl. Cause he just had this like free moment. It just was like, Oh, it is. It's like dancing is like our form. Our, It's like freeing. Yeah. It's like our, you can free yourself from so many things. And I use it too. Like if I feel really stuck or if I feel like anxious or something like, I'm like, you know what I need? Dancing. I need to shake my booty. And I get my speaker out and I put on some fun dance music and I don't care if anyone judges it. me and I just dance. Good. And it makes me feel like I can approach things more creatively with less fear. It's so good. Yeah. I so it. I love it. And so then she just kind of wraps things up and just talks about, you know, her book. And I just love her so much. Yes. We're so grateful for this book. Really just embracing and accepting all of our imperfections. Yeah. Miss Brene. I mean, she's written a lot of books, a lot, you know, having to do with shame and imperfection and being brave and courageous. And like everyone I've read has been like just... It's Spot good, on, so. and it, it they do kind of loop around together, and it's good. It just goes, they go deeper into different aspects. Yeah, and I, I know, like, I'm trying to remember what's the first book that I read of hers that, like, really was, like... Braving oh the Wilderness my was my first Brene Brown book. I want to see I what love it Braving was. The, and for all of our listeners, our next book club, we've decided, is Glennon Doyle's Untamed. We're doing yes. that next. So. And that is next, and I cannot wait. It's super freaking awesome. Such a good book. So Soon we'll have an author interview with The Adventures of Pirate Girl, Davina Menduno. Okay, great. I'm going to give you the book today to yes, read. Yes, yes, great. It only took me three days to read it. So. Oh, good. I'm excited. It was like one stories. of those stories that you just can't put down. Oh, You're good. Like, gotta keep going i love that it'll um, be great so that'll be coming up if you guys want to read ahead you can look these books up on audible or amazon yeah and start reading with us and we ask if you enjoyed today's episode please leave comments and please share share with us our on your social media share with your friends share with your family yeah so get us out there and just let us just want to be heard out in the world it's good stuff everybody wants to be we want to be heard friends all right thanks for tuning in thank you so much for listening to voices rising press podcast we are so grateful for you and we hope you are gaining insightful content here please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review and you can read our blogs and follow us at voicesrisingpress.com you can find us on facebook and instagram just type in voices rising press Thanks for tuning in. We'll meet you back here next week.